Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? It's good to see your smiling faces. Look around. See, there aren't that many empty seats. We've got some people standing and in the sound booth and all the rest of it. So this is what, one of the reasons why we need to finish the, the Kingdom Builders race is we need new chairs in the kids' unit because the old ones were destroyed. And right now, they've got our chairs from in here in there. So in order to get them back in here, we've got to get new ones in there. Does that make any sense to anybody? So uh, it's, it's kind of a little uh, borrowing from Rob, how's that phrase go? Robbing Peter to pay Paul. That's a bit of what's been going on here. So we, we have to remedy that. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you so much, worship team, for that ministry today. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Wow. And uh, I'm going to do my best um, to keep my glasses up. I forgot my, other, my real glasses at home, so all I got is my cheaters here. So you're, you're, when I look up, you're all blurry. Uh, whereas my real glasses have readers in the bottom and then you're clear up in the top, right? But right now, you guys could be just sticking your tongues out at me. I couldn't tell. But my paper's clear. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. We've been talking about prayer. We've been breaking down the Lord's Prayer. Because if you want to know how to pray, probably the best person to learn from is who? Jesus, right? If you want to know God, if you want to understand his heart about something, if you want to understand the nature of God, how to do something in a way that honors God, how about you look at Jesus? As Bill Johnson would say, Jesus is perfect theology. You look at Jesus, he is uh, the manifestation or God in the flesh. He's walking among us. He's living out this existence before us. He's done this and we can glean from him, right? How many would like to be like Jesus? Wouldn't that be good? Amen. So, you know, when it came to the disciples wanting to know how to pray, who did they go to? They went to Jesus. When they wanted to touch the heart of the Father, they went to Jesus. They'd watch Jesus pray. They'd seen Jesus pray. They knew that he knew how to pray. So they went to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And so Jesus' famous answer was the Lord's Prayer. And I won't take time to review it all, but we've went through our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We went through all of that, and you can get all that from YouTube if you missed it and you're visiting with us today. You say, man, I'd like to catch up on that. You can do that. Uh, but today, today we're going to be talking, and today's message is entitled, very simple, and I want you to repeat it after me, as we. As we. It's taken from verse 12 where Jesus said, and forgive us our debtors or our trespasses or our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. Amen. Father, we just ask for your help today as we look to the word. I thank God that, that this is the most challenging statement uh, in the Lord's Prayer. It's the one that touches our heart the most. And, and Father, we're probably the most sensitive about and yet, Father, the most needful to hear. And so, Lord, today we pray that you would help us as we look into the Scripture, into what Jesus was establishing with the disciples when he taught them to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. The New King James says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
NIV says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Passion Translation states it, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But the God's Word Translation, anybody ever heard of that before? Me either. But it was in my computer software. I'd never heard of this translation before, but it, it, it I don't know, it must have been written by a person who was just like to be really short on words, because this is what it said. Forgive us as we forgive others. Pretty simple. And I like that. It cuts to the real heart of what Jesus is saying. And every one of these verses, every translation uses the same two words in the middle, as we. This one puts it real simple. Forgive us as we forgive others. Forgive us as we forgive others. So regardless of which translation you read it from, it sure looks like the Lord is teaching us in the Lord's Prayer to place a condition upon our forgiveness. Think about that for a minute. You're saying, forgive me as uh, I forgive others. And you're like, how is that possible? Because isn't his love unconditional? Isn't his grace unconditional? So what, we're going to get at that today, and we're going we're gonna to look at what Jesus was trying to help us understand in this passage this morning. And we're going to break it down just into three simple statements. Forgive us as we forgive others. All right? Sound simple? I think so. Here we go. All right. Let's just start with that first two words. Forgive us. Forgive us. Jesus is making, I think, two things really clear. He's saying, establishing our need for forgiveness, right? When we say forgive us, we're, we're obviously asking for something we have need of. So we're, he's establishing our need. And he's also, I think, establishing that forgiveness is something we can get only really, truly for our sins from the Lord. And I'll establish that. Yes, there's, there's a forgiveness that we need to have on this level, but ultimately, we need to talk about forgiveness on this level first, right? And here's the thing. In 30 years of ministry, or more than 30 years, I've never had to convince anybody that they needed forgiveness. Never. Now, I've encountered some people who didn't believe in God, and so didn't feel any need to obtain forgiveness from God, but they were still very conscious of the fact that their actions, their life, their things that they had done had impacted other people, and they knew that over the course of their life, there were certainly other people they needed forgiveness from. Everybody is conscious of the fact that nobody's perfect, right? Except for maybe very delusional people. But in my lifetime, I've never had to convince anybody that they, at some point, in some place, in some area of their life, they needed forgiveness, whether they understood it from God or they understood it that they needed it from their spouse, their children, their parents, whatever. They need forgiveness. They need forgiveness. It's impossible to have lived your life as a conscious, free moral agent and not have sinned against another and against God. Everybody say impossible. It's impossible. Why? Because the Bible says that we're fallen, that we're shaped in iniquity, that we have a sinful nature from birth, and that we come out of the womb, and our nature, inclination is for ourselves and not for others, right? 
And so as we live out our lives and we bump shoulders with other people, it is only natural that we are going to sin. We are going to do things that, that impact the heart of God and impact the heart of those around us in a negative way, right? So we have to understand that that is true. So here's the, the kicker, though. In truth, every time we sin, we understand this as a believer. Every time we sin, whether it's something I've done against my wife or my children or my friends, the Bible says every time I've sinned that I sinned against God. Because God is the one that created the moral framework in which I'm supposed to live and operate. He is the one that has established good and evil. He is the one who has, who has mandated the pathway that I'm supposed to take. So every time that I sin, whether it's against an individual directly or whether it's just between God and I, I'm still sinning against God. Even David, you remember Psalm 51 verse 4, when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his relationship with Bathsheba, right? You'll remember that even David and we clearly understood, no matter how deeply he had sinned against Bathsheba, he had even had her husband Uriah put to the battlefront, and he had died so that David could then take Bathsheba. And when he was confronted by the prophet and he understood the power of his sin, he said, against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is wrong in your sight. He wasn't making light of the offense he had created with Uriah and with Bathsheba, but he understood, he understood that at the end of the day, all sin is sin against the one who created us to walk in Christ, to walk in him, to walk in according to his word and to his law. So David had this profound statement against you and you only have I sinned and done what is wrong in your sight. So David, when he needed forgiveness, had to call out to God. Now, after you've called out to God, you may need to go to some people and seek forgiveness as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first and foremost, you need to go to God. You need to go to God. Every time we sin, everybody say every time. Every time we sin, we sin against God. It's that simple. It's that simple. And that's why every time we sin, we need his forgiveness. We need his forgiveness. And our forgiveness ultimately always, first and foremost, comes from the Lord. Hallelujah. So that's it. Forgive us. Is that pretty simple so far? Let's look at those next two words that I named the message after. As we. Everybody say, as we. Now, the remarkable thing about verse 12, this as we statement, is like I said, it certainly makes it look like forgiveness is conditional. And yet we know that God forgives us and that God's grace is abounded to us and it's not dependent on our work and our actions but upon Christ's death on the cross, right? So this, this statement, and it's repeated other places in the New Testament, is, is, is hard to understand. And it's, it's, it's kind of like we're painting ourselves into a corner. Have you ever done that? You decide you're going to paint the floor in a room, and, uh, and what you do is you, you start at the doorway. You came in the room, you start painting, and you're painting, and the next thing you know, you're in the corner. You go, uh, what do I do now, right? And it almost like this verse with forgiveness is like we're, we're painting ourselves into a corner. We're working ourselves back to this place where, oops, uh, and uh, now I can't get out of here unless, like Jesus can't, abound his, his grace to me and his forgiveness to me unless I am willing to forgive others? Wow, that's, that's challenging. He's, that is challenging. Forgive us as we forgive others. 
Everybody say, as we. This is the only portion of the Lord's Prayer that's conditional, right? It's the only portion that's conditional. Everything else just is declarative statements about how to pray, but this one, there's a condition there. And I think it's there for two significant things for us to pick up. He's trying to get us across to us that uh, as we pray for forgiveness, first of all, there's a realization that when we sin, our sin, even though we've established it's always against God, it impacts others, right? Our sin impacts others. The impact of sin is felt very deeply. And when others have sinned against us, it wounds us as well. How many have ever been sinned against? Man, there should be every hand in the house up because if you haven't, then you obviously have been living in a bubble. You got like, you know, uh, you know, plastic little thing around you. Nobody comes near you, all that kind of thing. The reality is every year, every month, maybe even every day, somebody sins against us. I don't know. Uh, probably we're just really good at not keeping count anymore. But the truth of the matter is we get sinned against all the time. It's part of the human journey. And uh, in placing this condition on forgiveness, God is reminding us that just as others have wounded us, and we have to look past it and forgive, God has to do the same for us. So every time we sin, we wound the heart of God. And every time we sin, God has to look past the pain, past the hurt, past the wound in order to grant forgiveness. Does everybody understand that? Every time God forgives, he is literally doing so at the expense of his own heart being wounded, and he goes past the wound and grants us forgiveness. Our sin wounds the Lord. It hurts him. And we need to ask him for forgiveness, but in order for him to do so, he has to go past the wound. So when he tells us to forgive as we have been forgiven, by wording it as a conditional prayer, the depth of the impact that our sin has had upon God comes clear to us because we know what it feels like when people do it to us. And so as we forgive other people, we get a revelation of what is required for God to forgive us. And that's what he requires of us. In the scripture, he says, freely you have received, freely what? Freely give. Freely you've received, freely. Everybody say freely. Freely, so freely give it. Secondly, there is a hidden reminder here in the words as we. That just as you forgive, get a hold of this truth. God has. God has forgiven you. Everybody say that. God has forgiven me. God has forgiven me. This is one of the greatest revelations that we need to receive. That God has forgiven me. Now, there's a phrase that I hear sincerely passed around all the time. And... Uh, it's, it's, it's not glibly tossed about, maybe sometimes it is, but I think well-intentioned and meaningfully, meaningfully to be helpful, I think. But people will say all the time, and I hear it quite frequently, even in, even in Christian circles, you just need to forgive yourself. You need to learn to forgive yourself or some other variation of the phrase. How many have heard that phrase talked around about? I understand the sentiment. I really do. You're 
you're watching somebody whose life is being destroyed because they can't get past the guilt of the things that they have done and they, they're, they're being robbed of a future because of their past, right? And so you see that person in that, in that situation of suffering and of inner turmoil and anguish, whether it's wounds they've committed against a spouse or against their children or against their parents or against a friend. And so in order to help them get past it, we say to them, you just need to forgive yourself. The other person's forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself. So I understand the sentiment. But can I tell you this morning, it's incorrect. It's incorrect. The counsel you need to forgive yourself is a relatively new one. Did you know that? It's only occupied common language for about the last 50 years. And the reason is because it's a byproduct of a secularized society. Only a people who do not believe in God need to find forgiveness within themselves for the things that they've done. You see, the believer acknowledges against who? You only and you alone have I sinned and done what's wrong in your sight. That's scripture. Everybody say scripture. The Pharisees hearing Jesus say to a man, I forgive you of your sins, right? You know, go, you're free. Got them upset because the Pharisees even understood that forgiveness could be granted by God for the absolution of sin and God alone, right? So the Pharisees understood that. When a person is being destroyed over the weight of sin and the things that they've done in the past, and it's destroying their, their, their present and their future, in truth, it's not that they cannot forgive themselves that is the problem. It is the fact that they cannot accept the fact that God has forgiven them that is the problem. It's not the fact that they need to learn to forgive themselves that is the problem. It is the fact that they have to grasp the truth that God has forgiven them that is the problem. That they can't get a hold, they can't accept the truth that God has forgiven me. And yet that's what we need. But in a society that doesn't recognize and doesn't acknowledge God, we have to look for some other place to find that, that sense of, of relief for the guilt and the shame that we walk in. But I'm here to tell you today, it comes from God. When you get a revelation that God's forgiven you, everything changes. Everything changes. You're able to be who you were called to be. You're able to have the future you're supposed to have because you understand, I'm forgiven by God. Hallelujah. The biggest revelation that we need is about the enormity of the forgiveness of God. 1 John 1, 9 puts it plain. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need to take hold of the fact that God has forgiven me. When I do... I can walk free from shame and guilt. I can live a life open to other people. And in turn, I can forgive others because I know that I have been forgiven. Do you see that this morning? We'll get to that in a minute. Now, that forgiving other part, other people part, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, John Claypool, uh, he tells a story of a priest. This is a great story. And this is going to help you understand what I've just been talking about. 
He tells the story of a priest who carried in his soul the burden of a secret sin he'd committed many years before. He had confessed this sin to God, but still had no peace about it. And this is where the, uh, this is a modern day example of someone that we would say they just need to learn to forgive themselves, right? He's got no peace about it. In his parish, there was a woman who deeply loved God, and she claimed to have visions in which she spoke directly with the Lord. The priest was kind of skeptical about that. So he said to test her, the next time you speak with Christ, I want you to ask him what sin your priest committed when he was in seminary. The woman said, okay, I'll ask Jesus that. So a few days later, the priest saw the woman, and he said, did Christ visit you? She said, yes, he did. And he said, and did you ask him what sin I committed when I was in seminary? She said, yes. So he's like, well, what did God say? And he said, I don't remember. Do you get it now? You see, what the priest needed to understand is that in God's eyes, what sin are we talking about? He has taken as far as the east is from the west. As, uh, you know, he has cast our sin away from us and he remembers it no more. I I tell people all the time, the only time God remembers your sin is when you keep reminding him. You keep bringing it up. You say, you remember that thing I did? Well, okay, let me go through my hard drive and see if I can find it, but no. And then we tell him all over again and then he goes, I forgive you. Next day, Lord... And he goes, what are you talking about? I've already forgotten it, right? I've already forgotten it. Amen. One of the ways we're most unlike God, he forgets sin and we remember it really well. Our own sin and everybody else that sinned against us. Oh, yeah. You see, that's why God's grace is greater than your guilt. God's grace is greater than your shame. God's grace is greater than anything. And what you need is you don't need to forgive yourself. You need to accept that God has forgiven you. That's what you need. And man, if you can, if I didn't accept that truth, there's no way I could walk into this pulpit every week. I did more ridiculously bad stuff before I was 17 than most people do in a lifetime. And my poor parents, I don't know how they didn't pull all their hair out. I don't know how. It was just, it, it, there are so many things that, that I remember, but God doesn't. And so I haven't talked to God about them for decades because he doesn't remember them anymore anyway. And they're in the past. You know, I've got to be honest with you. 30, what was it, 29 years ago? How many years ago we come to Belleville? 25 years ago? 28 years ago? 31 years ago. Wow, my goodness, I am getting old. So 31 years ago. When we moved to Belleville, I'll be honest with you. I was nervous about moving to Belleville. I was nervous about it. I was born and raised in Napanee. There's a lot of people in Napanee who know who I was when I was a teenager. Ain't pretty. So I'm thinking, wait, I don't know if I can move to Belleville because my, my sins will follow me. My past will follow me. And I, and I had this fear that I'd be up preaching someday and somebody would walk through the back door and say, you know, you need to get down from that pulpit. You know, you're a hypocrite. You can't talk about those things. I know what you did last summer, right, so to speak, right? That kind of thing. 
<laughs> pop, no, pop culture statement there. But, uh, you know, that kind of ideology, right? I know your past. I know your past. And I was worried about that. You can ask my wife. I, I, I stewed about that. I really did. And, and, and then I, so I brought it to the Lord. And I said, what am I going to do about my past and all this stuff I did? And, and he said, what past? What things that you did? I don't seem to have any record of that. And I went, oh. So if someone ever walked in and started reaming awful stuff, I'd just say, God doesn't remember any of that. And frankly, neither do I. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because the liberty in knowing that God has forgiven me. I don't even have the power to absolve myself from sin anyway. Only God does. I can't forgive myself. He has to forgive me because he has the power to forgive me. Are you hearing me this morning? Amen. Praise God. Whew. I heard this quote the other day. Forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. Isn't that great? Forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. I say amen to that. You know, I've given that up. I'm not hoping for a better past because my past is behind me, right? Uh, you know, grace is accepting and forgiveness is accepting that by his grace, today, I am not who I was yesterday and tomorrow I will not be who I am today, right? That we are on a journey in Christ. Everybody say a journey. journey. Where we are being perfected. Everybody say perfected. perfected. Day by day. So what's happening in your life and in mine is that I am being shaped in the image of Christ. And the things of my past, whether it's yesterday or 10 years ago, that were a failure, a sin, God has placed them in the past. And as far as we're concerned, there's the present and the future. Now, having said that, there's two more words in this prayer we have to work on, right? Forgive us as we... Forgive others. So we come to this part about forgiving others. And uh, the need, obviously, if we're saying forgive us as we forgive others, there's a need for us to forgive others, right? You don't want to have your sins held against you, so you can't hold them against anybody else. Matthew eleven twenty five. and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. There it is again, that conditional thing. We have to forgive others. It's part of the Christian journey. Is forgiveness. Forgiveness. When we're wounded, whether by family or friend or church member or leader, to get to a, we need to get to a place of health, and the only way we can get there is down the path of forgiveness. We have to forgive. Many people are in a church for two or three years and they leave. You know why they leave? Because they got offended by someone. Usually Barry or me. Okay, usually me or Barry. I just one of those places where I'm willing to defer. Do you know what I mean? But... But, you know, most often that's what happens. People get offended, in the, and, and the, the more your prominent your place of leadership is, the more likely that's the person you're offended with, right? But it can happen. You can offend the person beside you, especially if you're sitting beside your spouse. That's, 
pretty high odds of that happening at some point in your life. You know, uh, the reality is, is that 90% of the people leave a church and go look for another church because of an offense. And it could be an offense of simply as much as they just don't like the music or, uh, uh, and we've, we've heard that here before. Uh, and, or that they didn't like the kids program or they didn't like the pastor's message or they didn't like all the hand waving or the speaking in tongues or they didn't like this or they didn't like, I don't know. The list is as long as your imagination. And so people pick up an offense. An offended person is somebody who has not forgiven. Right? An offended person is a person who is not forgiven. We have to release forgiveness to the people that have wounded us. And when I see these people who are just so stuck in their own ideology, in their own sentiment, and, and this, that's why I just have hated the last two years because of the division it's created in society. And it's almost like, you know, they, they want you to be divided against your neighbor. You know, the Bible says it's an interesting verse in the scripture. It says, better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. What does that mean? It's one of those weird statements. You read that and you go, what? And it's because if you had an immediate need, your brother being at West ain't going to be able to help you. Especially, you got to remember this was written in the pre-days before airplanes, trains, cars, telephones, wire transfers, any of that kind of stuff. So the truth was, what the scripture was saying is that it's, you know, you need a healthy relationship with your neighbor and that's to be valued over even this relationship with a brother who's far away. Because we need each other. And when I see people willing to divide over political ideology, I mean, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Never have I seen it like this in the church before. You know, and, and, and Christians believing that the answer is in politics. I'll be really clear to you. I believe in, in the need for a culture to have a, a kingdom government, a divine government. But Canada's never had one. Canada has never had one. In order to have one, we'd have to have a monarchy. We'd have to have a divine king that we look to who is over everything in our country. Now, we were a lot more godly when we started our country. We adorned our, our parliament buildings with scriptures and all the rest of it, but we were still not a divine kingdom. And so in the absence of a, of a divine government, which we won't have, I believe, until Christ returns. So in the absence of a divine government, as I've mentioned here before, I look for good government. And I could talk to you at length about what I think good government is. And some of you would agree with some of my points and some of you would disagree with some of my points. And that's okay. Everybody say, that's okay. And, but you know, good government is not our savior. Did you hear what I said? Good government is not your savior. Good government is not the kingdom. 
We will not solve all of Canada's problems with good government. We could make the country better, and we should all work for it to be better. We should all get involved. We shouldn't wash our hands of it and back away like the church did for the last 50, 70 years. No, 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 we need to engage, and we need to help shape it. We need to help change it. But remember this. Remember this. It's still a worldly system. And our hope is bigger than that. Our hope is in the Lord. Amen? Our hope is in the Lord. And so brings me around to the fact that I don't understand when Christians will take a hold of uh, ideology about something and, and will allow that to divide them from a brother or a sister whom they're in the kingdom with. Shouldn't happen. But we allowed it to happen with everything from mask fan mandates to vaccine mandates to protocols to uh, what Fox News says or CNN says or CBC says. or I mean, and we have just allowed ourselves to be pulled in all these directions. And Jesus is just calling out to us and asking us to love one another again. And some of their opinions may be right and others may be left. <laughs> But, but the reality is, <laughs> the reality is, uh, you know, maybe I need to ask you a question. Have you hugged a liberal today? You know what I mean? Like, you just, you need to get to the point where you recognize that who we are in Christ is much more important than political ideology. Amen? I, I hear it all the time from people, and they, they there's one of those little uh, all the time from people, if we just get this person elected, yeah, it could improve things, but it's still, we still need Jesus. People still need the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. And we as Christians need to forgive those people who have wounded us and offended us. Right now, in a divided society, we are to go out into our community and we are to be catalysts of restoration and reconciliation. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus has given you the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that? You have a ministry called reconciliation, that you are to see people reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That's your calling in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So we need to learn and practice forgiveness of one another. Let me tell you what forgiveness is really quickly as I close out here this morning and what it's not. Forgiveness is a moral choice. It's moral. It is a moral response to an injustice. In other words, an immoral wrong, right? It is turning to the good in the face of wrongdoing or evil. It's moral. Secondly, forgiveness is goodwill. It's merciful restraint from pursuing resentment or revenge. Generosity or offering good things such as attention, time, moral love, contributing to the betterment of others. All of these things are exercises of goodwill. And so when we forgive somebody, it's an exercise of our goodwill to that person. Thirdly, forgiveness is paradoxical. It is foregoing the wrong uh, doings of other people uh, and giving them what they don't deserve. Mercy, generosity, etc. And uh, as we give the gift of forgiveness, here's the paradox of it, we get healed ourselves, right? Even when it's to somebody who wounded us deeply, when we release forgiveness to them, God can begin to heal the wounds in our life. 
What is for, uh, another thing, last thing, forgiveness is beyond duty. It is a freely chosen gift that you give to somebody else. And God gave it to you, right? And he gave it to you. It is, it's, it was not his responsibility. It was, it was beyond responsibility. It's, sometimes we have to go beyond what's reasonable in order to forgive people, Right? It just doesn't seem to make sense that I should forgive this person for that, but I need to in order for me to be healed. So it's going beyond the call of duty. What is forgiveness not? Forgiveness is not forgetting or denial. Even though God has the power to forget, right? When I say forgetting or denial, you do need to release the person, but, but don't live in this denial that it never happened, Right? Because what that does is cause you to bury it and bury it and another person sins against you and you bury it and you bury it and you live in denial that these things have happened and then one day you erupt, right? You blow a head gasket. Why? Because you've been denying that these offenses have happened to you all your life rather than dealing with them and forgiving them, all right? Secondly, forgiveness is not condoning. You know, the people that walk around, oh, well, it's not that bad, you know? Somebody wounds you deeply and, and someone says, are, are you okay? Oh, yeah, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. No big deal. Right? Come on, you've been there. And, and, and you even say, well, you know, they didn't really, you know, it wasn't that bad a thing that they did. No, you cannot condone the behavior. You know? You need to have those conversations and say, what you did was wrong. Right? But then you can say, but... I forgive you. Thirdly, forgiveness is not excusing. Well, you know, they did it because they're under a lot of pressure. You know, they're just under a lot of pressure. This happens in marriages all the time. Husbands and and wives will, will, instead of talking things out and releasing forgiveness and grace to one another, they make excuses for the other person's behavior. Well, they just did it because they're under a lot of pressure. You know what? Do you live under pressure for 35 straight years? At some point, you gotta, you got to take ownership for the things that are going on in the relationship, and you got to talk about it, and you have to release forgiveness to one another. You can't just go along excusing the other person's behavior for decade after decade. Another thing forgiveness is not, it's not condemning. Well, you know, they just need to know how bad it was, right? And then it's like you, you feel like it's your obligation to convince them that it was evil. No, no, no. You can tell them you were wounded and you forgive them, but you don't have to, it's not your job to convince them of how evil it was. That's the Lord's job to convince them, Amen. And finally, forgiveness is not seeking justice or compensation. It's not a quid pro quo thing. Well, you go to somebody, I forgave you. Now, what do you have to say? I, I see that all the time. People that will forgive somebody, and then when that person does say, you know what, I'm really sorry, and, 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 and give some kind of a recognition back, guess what? You come away from that conversation more offended than you went in. You got a whole new world of stuff to forgive. I can't believe they didn't own any of it themselves. right? Come on, you guys have been there. You know what I'm talking about. And now you're twice as offended as you were before. And now you got to go back and ask for their forgiveness again. And they go, what on earth are you talking about? Hello? Wow. You just got to, as Ken Gill would say, you just got to forgive them. And then you have to lower your expectation and and increase your investment, right? I got to smack them. Poof. You know? 
Now, I want to make one more important distinction here this morning before I close up um, between forgiveness and reconciliation, okay? Ultimately, God wants to lead us to reconciliation where the two parties can be at one again. Us and God, that's his example. He wants it for us as well. So forgiveness is one person's moral response to another person's injustice. Reconciliation is when two parties come together in mutual forgiveness and respect right? Now, listen to this statement this morning. You can forgive someone and not be reconciled. Everybody hear that? But you cannot be reconciled and not forgive. All right? Let me say that again. You can forgive someone. You can make the moral choice to forgive someone and never be reconciled. They may never own it. They may never respond properly. It doesn't matter. You can forgive someone and not be reconciled. And in fact, if, if, if they don't respond properly, it's a whole nother topic about boundaries, you know, you should probably not, you know, pretend like it never happened because it's going to happen to you again, right? So, so you can forgive someone and not be reconciled, but you cannot be reconciled and not forgive. In order for there to be reconciliation, there must, everybody say must, must be forgiveness, must be forgiveness. Forgiveness is the path to reconciliation. There's an institute in the States called the Forgiveness Institute, and they've been doing research on the power uh, of forgiveness on mental health. And uh, the University of Wisconsin has been at the head of this for over 13 years, and psychiatrist Richard Fitzgibbons uh, recently said this about their research. Research. He said, the research on forgiveness by Robert Enright and his colleagues may be as important to the treatment of emotional and mental disorders as the discovery of sulfa drugs and penicillin or to the treatment of infectious diseases. This is not a believer. This is just somebody who sees the power of forgiveness and says it is as powerful a healer to the soul and to mental health as, as penicillin and sulfa drugs are to infectious disease. Wow, that's a revelation coming from those who don't even necessarily acknowledge God, but they understand the power of forgiveness. And that leads us back to that paradox. When you forgive other people, when you forgive other people, you release forgiveness, you yourself will be healed. You will be healed. As you give the gifts of mercy, generosity, love, through forgiveness, you will be healed. You will experience mercy. You will experience the generous spirit of the Lord. You will experience love and grace. You will be healed. Forgiveness, as a result of that, is sometimes learning to live with the consequences of another person's sin. I still live with it. There are things people have done to me, and people, for example, let's look at finances for a loan. Someone rips you off of $100,000, and you forgive them, you're still out $100,000, just to put it in common vernacular. So you have to live with the consequence of that $100,000 deficiency the rest of your life. You got to try and find ways to get past it and all the rest of it. So there, you know, releasing forgiveness can mean that there will be consequences that you'll still have to work through. And that's why sometimes people get stuck because they don't understand that I can forgive and I'm still going to have some consequences from that forgiveness. If that's the case, then why do we forgive? <laughs> Shouldn't we demand a pound of flesh? 
Shouldn't we go after them? Well, we forgive because that's what Christ did for us. No matter how deeply someone sinned against you, you sinned against God in probably a more egregious way. And the amount that you have to forgive others, God has more than had to forgive you. Do you understand me this morning? God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know, God forgave us, and as a result of it, we have access to him. We become the righteousness of God. That's why we forgive. Well, where is the justice? Where is the justice then? Where do I ever get the $100,000 back? The justice is in the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will, hello, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, when, when people do repay, when they do make things up, guess what? You're probably going to be able to reconcile with that person. That's when reconciliation can follow because you know what? They're going to, they're going to, they've owned their stuff and you guys are on a, a pathway of reconciliation. It's beautiful. And we see that all over the place. Beautiful in the body of Christ. And that's how it works. So how do we do this? How do we forgive like this? Well, it has to come from the heart, not from the head. If your forgiveness does not visit your emotional core, you're probably not really forgiving. If you're just saying, well, no, it's okay. I forgive them. It's okay. I forgive them and you haven't visited the heart, you probably haven't forgiven them. That kind of forgiveness has a habit of repeating back like bad pizza. Do you know what I'm saying? It just finds its way back into your experience. No, no, no. You need to really, truly forgive them. You need to really, truly forgive them. Now, I want you to stand with me this morning. Last night, Barry made a statement when we were praying over the message today. He said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And that's true. I used to say it's like, you know, locking yourself in a prison and swallowing the key. It's you, you know, holding something against somebody else only imprisons your heart. M- many times they're oblivious. They're just going about their business. Don't even know. And you've created this prison of your own creation, and you're devastated by it. What I want you to do this morning, really simply, I want you to just close your eyes with me this morning in this place. And I want you to visit your heart and say, Lord, is there anybody in my life that I have not truly forgiven? Is there anybody in my life that I've truly not forgiven? That I have not released them in the spirit? That I have not released them to you and and I have not dealt with the pain? Is Is there anybody in my life that I have not forgiven? What I want you to do is I want you to, please not out loud, don't shout it. But I want you to name that person this morning. And you may even have to name exactly what it is that they did. You can do that in your own spirit, but you can whisper it where you are. But I want you to, right now, just release that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I forgive, insert name, for insert offense, and I forgive them. And I want you to release 
forgiveness to that person. And then, going out of here this morning, I want you to pray every day for that person. I want you to pray for their well-being. I want you to pray that God would heal them, that God would restore them, that God would uh, do a work in their heart. Don't try to rationalize or explain their offensive behavior. It's not your job. Don't try to go to God and say, God, would you please just come down and convict them like fire from on heaven? You know, that's not really your job either. It's God's job to do that. But you're going to release forgiveness to them, and you're going to pray blessing over them because that's scriptural. And then you're going to pray, Lord, I desire to be free from the hurt and the hate of the offenses of the past. And today I move beyond desiring to forgive. And I ask for your help to actually forgive. Amen? So right now I just want you to, just in the quietness of the Lord, let him speak to you. Just begin to speak to you. There may be a person that comes up in your mind that you thought you had dealt with and you hadn't. You just need to release it to God right now. Lord, I forgive and just name their name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the power of forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that, that Father, the forgiveness of God that I have been forgiven is what I release to other people through my life today as well. I forgive as God has forgiven me. Thank you, Jesus. As Kevin was um, speaking, the Lord kept saying to me, um, the place people need to start is within their home, within the four walls of their home. And I watched um, a seminar recently. I totally forgot about it until this morning. And, uh, And it was on marriage. And they said, you know how people break up a marriage after they're married 25, 30, 35, 40 years, and you're all scratching your head, and you're going, what happened? What happened? Did they grow apart, just not do enough things together? And that can be part of it. But they said the key reason is that couples get tired of forgiving each other. Couples get tired of forgiving each other that they've done something that to hurt me and they should know, and yet they continue to do it. The other partner doesn't speak up, converse. They don't get help. They don't pray about it, communicate about it. And the moment they said that simple little statement, they get tired of forgiving each other. God, help us. God, help us to forgive each other, not to sweep it under the carpet, pretend it's not there. But with your spouse, your marriage is worth fighting for. And I mean that in the best possible way. If you think we've never struggled in areas, whoa, we're two very strong personalities. And I got to tell you, when I'm really offended with my husband, the last thing I want to do is go to the Lord and pray. It's seriously, it is, because I know full well what he's going to say to me. He's going to say, it's time to put on your big girl boots. It's time to talk it out 
work it out. It's time to pray for one another. Because in my own flesh, the last thing I want to do is that I want to keep a list and check it off. Well, he did this and he did this and, and you, and I'm not alone. I don't think I'm that strange. I, th- I think a lot of you can relate to this and understand this. Don't grow tired of forgiving one another. If you can't, if, if you're not hearing each other, go to somebody who can help you to learn how to be heard. But don't throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel. Do not throw in the towel. Someone said to me, actually just last week, one of the reasons we were attracted to this church is because of the marriages and the family dynamics. There's an attraction there. And that, and if you think for one moment that the enemy doesn't see it and want to take us out, want to divide, want to destroy your homes, that's, that's the key thing he's after is to destroy the picture of the union that you have together. So just begin to fight in the best way possible. Yes. And let, let us be known as a house of forgiveness. The older I get, I realize how much I need grace and forgiveness. So the more I want to give it. Does that make sense? Yes. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you're, if you're here with your, your spouse today, would you just reach out your hand and grab it today? Put your arm around them. And uh, can you do that for me? And, uh, you know, what we need to learn to do is to fight for each other, not with each other. Right? And it's so easy to fight with each other, but we need to go before God and fight for each other. Amen? And uh, whatever that looks like, however demanding that is of our spirit, we need to do it. We don't do it just for our own sakes and our own marriage. We do it for our children. We do it for our grandchildren. We do it for legacy. We do it for our neighbors. We do it for those around about us who are looking and, and they're asking is. Is there a God still on this earth? Is there, is there hope? Is there health? Is there love? Is there faithfulness? Is there forgiveness? The best picture they have is the picture that you see right there today. And so I just want to bless the homes in this place today with a release of supernatural forgiveness. Father, in Jesus' name today, Sherry and I, we just... We stretch out our hearts and our lives over this house today, and we release the spirit of forgiveness. And Lord, as Sherry said, where does it need to start? It needs to start in our marriages. It needs to start in our our, our homes. It needs to start with, with a mom and dad that love each other. It needs to start there. And then it needs to go out to father our children and to our grandchildren so that, Father, the legacy of love and forgiveness is released generation to generation to generation. Father, today we ask for the grace to rest upon us. That as Sherry said, she... <laughs> When she's offended, she doesn't want to go to God sometimes because she knows he's going to tell her she's got to forgive me. (laughs) Hallelujah for that. Praise the Lord. 
But Lord, I'm thankful that she does. And I'm thankful that Lord, you call me to that same place because in forgiveness, we find hope. In forgiveness, we find joy. In forgiveness, we find life. And the abundant life that Christ talked about. And so, Father, we pray for every marriage here today. We pray for any that are struggling. We pray, God, you'd release a spirit of forgiveness today. That they'd go from this place today and they'd go home and they'd, they'd literally uh, release forgiveness to each other and, and talk about the things that have wounded one another and then forgive one another. And, Lord, just commit to a pathway of reconciliation in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you, Lord, for every other area of forgiveness. We have to forgive. There's coworkers we have to forgive. There's perpetrators in our life we have to forgive. There's people that are literally standing across the, the aisle or across the street or across some form uh, in our lives, whether it's work or school or whatever, and they, they literally have positioned themselves as our enemy, and we forgive them today. The Bible says we for, we're to forgive our enemies, and we release forgiveness to them today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let Desert Stream be a house of forgiveness, we ask. Amen. Amen.